1: The Virginia House of Delegates looked into police training standards during a committee meeting on Wednesday. As Roberta Roldan reports, these meetings are meant to inform legislators about who will be filing police reform bills for the August 18th special session. Lawmakers heard first from state officials, who say they're currently working to revise standards for police academy training. However, they won't be finalized for at least another year. Alexandria Commonwealth's attorney Brian Porter also told the committee that he wants to see an increase in training funds to all police in Virginia. Because so many smaller jurisdictions and smaller departments, some as little as three or four police officers, do not have access to the trainings, uh, it's really important for the state to kind of step in and make sure that there are minimum standards. So far, only one police training bill has been filed for the special session. It would require the Department of Criminal Justice Services to do yearly evaluations of police academies and provide more funding to those that aren't meeting statewide standards. Roberta Roldan, VPM News. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger has introduced a bipartisan bill aimed at studying the effectiveness of virtual doctor visits. The legislation requires the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to assess key health care metrics of patients who have used telehealth services. Citing the critical role telemedicine is playing to help keep people safe during the pandemic, Spanberger said the bill is a step toward understanding how technology can be used to expand affordable and reliable health care access. One of the bill's co-sponsors is Republican Representative John Curtis of Utah. In a statement, he called telehealth the future of healthcare and urged Congress to make these regulatory changes permanent. Virginia Senator Mark Warner says the Trump administration cannot stop funding for schools if they don't physically reopen. And while Senate Republicans intend to provide some additional dollars to K-12 schools, Warner says it's not enough. Ian Stewart reports. If the Senate Republicans' new emergency coronavirus relief bill were a pie, a slice of that, namely $70 billion, would go directly to K-12 through public and private schools, regardless of how they open. That sounds like a lot of money, but when we think about dividing it amongst all of the schools across the country, I frankly don't think it's enough. Instead, in a virtual conference Wednesday, Warner proposed $175 billion go directly to primary and secondary schools. Ultimately, he believes schools will see a dollar amount somewhere in between the two proposals. He's hopeful those funds will be in school hands no later than Labor Day. In response to the Trump administration's calls to halt funding for schools who don't reopen, Warner says those are just scare tactics. He says that he has put in legislation not to punish schools for the uncontrolled pandemic. Ian Stewart, VPM News. Tuckahoe Middle School in Henrico will have free COVID-19 testing available this morning. Individuals five years or older with flu-like symptoms are eligible for testing. Health officials are encouraging people to register ahead of time by calling a hotline. That number is 804-205-3501. While officials say these testing events are happening rain or shine, heat could play a factor. Another testing event on Tuesday organized by the Richmond and Henrico Health Departments was canceled because of the heat index reaching more than 100 degrees. The coronavirus pandemic has ravaged long-term care facilities in Virginia and across the country. Infection control has been a struggle for many nursing homes, including one we heard about yesterday as part of a collaboration with member station Radio IQ. But several facilities have been able to contain the spread of the virus and prevent deaths. VPM's Megan Polly reports on one Richmond area facility's success in infection control.
0: Andre Ackerman works at the Virginia Home, a Richmond nursing facility for adults with physical disabilities. So it's nine in the morning. I came into work, I took my temperature. It is 97.6. I have no symptoms, so I'm ready to get to work. Before the pandemic hit, Ackerman was a speech and dental assistant. But when COVID-19 struck in early April, his job changed overnight. He was quickly trained to be a monitor on the COVID-positive floor, that meant a lot of different things. Like, let's say we ran out of masks, they would come to me and say, Andre, we need more masks. And so I would you know, leave the unit, decontaminate myself, come to our central supply of our COVID-19 storage, Not only did Ackerman help ensure staff had enough personal protective equipment, known as PPE, he also helped make sure everyone, including housekeeping employees, were trained on how to safely put it on and take it off. Their job is just as important as anybody else's within the facility to make sure we contain the spread of the virus, but they've never been trained to put on and take off PPEs. They had a very organized and coordinated effort to control the outbreak, led by medical director Dr. Mary Simmers. She put in place a methodical process for reusing PPE. So far, they've had a relatively small number of cases, 13 residents and four staff members, and no deaths. Simmers also limited who entered the COVID-positive floor and how. There was a specific stairwell, complete with bleach foot baths for staff to clean the bottoms of their shoes. Simmers was frequently on the floor herself doing on-the-spot training. I would wear
1: like a special white coat and special shoes and then take those off before I went back like to my office, for example. But the remainder of the staff on the affected unit only went in and out of that unit and didn't go anywhere else in the building.
0: She says, if anything, the facility was overstaffed, which definitely contributed to their ability to control the outbreak. Simmers can think of only one staff member out of 200 who quit because of the virus. She said consistent leadership and low staff turnover were key. You know, I think we were
1: able to be maybe a little more nimble and respond faster than maybe nursing homes that had to wait and then get, get directives, you know, from the top down.
0: The Virginia Home is a nonprofit. Four out of five nursing homes across the country are corporate-owned. CEO Bob Krause says it's unusual for nursing homes to receive as much financial support as the Virginia home does. That makes it possible for residents to have their own rooms and a full-time medical director.
1: I think there was a temptation, you know, not intentional, but to sort of drop your guard, relax a little bit because things had been, been so intense. Mary didn't let us do that and I mean that in absolute admiration because if we had done that I think you know we would be in a different place right now.
0: Charlene Harrington's a national expert who has studied nursing home staffing for over 30 years. She says most nursing homes don't have a full-time medical director. What that usually means is that they pay someone for about two hours of work a week so The nursing homes that have half-time or full-time directors are in much better shape. They have a much better quality of care. Rob Tompkins knew there was a difference in the quality of care at the Virginia home before his father moved there in 2016, after seven years on the waiting list. But Tompkins was still worried about COVID.
1: You know, as soon as I heard that there was a case there, I was like, okay, well, he's going to get it. And he didn't. And that in itself is wholly remarkable.
0: Tompkins says the fact his dad didn't get sick speaks volumes about how well the Virginia home has managed during the pandemic. Megan Pauley, VPM News.
1: All the stories you've heard can be found online at vpm.org slash news. This has been the Daily VPM Newscast. VPM.